Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast. If you would like to see full, unedited video recordings of our podcast, ask listener questions, or be thanked by name on each episode, please support the show by subscribing at patreon.com backslash Southern Bramble. You're listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of crooked ways. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. And I'm Austin Bain X Bramble on Instagram. Today we have a wonderful, wonderful guest with us. He is um, a cult's darling, the uh, early modernist, modern necromancer, geomancer extraordinaire, um, educator and teacher, author. Please everybody welcome Dr. Alexander Cummins. Hello there. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Dr. Al, the origin story of you is what, so I'm familiar with you. I would assume that you're familiar with me. We've worked on a a project or two together. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's funny though, I was thinking when I was writing this brief, I was like, I don't know, doctor. Like, I don't know you very well. (laughs) Um, I don't know your origin story. So tell us your, your personal life, your deepest and darkest, your haves and your have beens uh, and your background, et cetera, et cetera. Well, turn-ons include, um, I have my social security number ready as well. Should we get into that? Uh, uh, Origin, I I, I like calling them origin stories. Um, Gosh, imagine if I'd been like, I thought I was like stone-faced and was like, well, I was bitten by a radioactive grimoire and <laughs> that's what this is. Um, it's, it's, it's a little weird. Some, some folks take that like origin story thing a little far and are like, well, you know, of course, there's never been a blizzard like when I was born. Like the, the kind of like birth is a <laughs> marker, like folklorically speaking of like someone with, with some of the power or the gift or the sight or what have you. Um, I don't know about any of that. I, I was born in the, in the West Midlands in Birmingham, Peaky Blinders country. That's where my mom and dad and my sister still are. Um, I grew up learning to write my name on uh, D&D character sheets, playing with my my dad's friends. Um, Advanced second edition. Uh, He's a big, big proponent of the Thaco system um, for another set of nerds. Uh, (laughs) If you podcast them, I understand what that is. and funnily enough, when you start talking about Dungeons and Dragons, half of, uh, an occult audience is like, oh, great stories, imaginative play. Uh, this is my engagement as well. And the other half start going, well, that's not very, very Fireball doesn't work like that. Um, windmills do not work that way. Uh, but that's that was one of my, my origins in terms of thinking about literally the engagement with wizards and witches and, and stories about magic and things like that. Um, as well as growing up in the 80s in, in the West Midlands and, and uh, the, the school system having a, a very big deal on like, we have a deeply multicultural set of kids here. We should probably tell stories from all around the world. So I, I got to grow up not just with like Greek myth, which, you know, the, the, the English love, bless them, uh, but also a lot of um, West African uh, uh, mythology and stories and things like that. Um, so I would say that's part of my little origin kind of as well as a, as a wee little kid getting set. The first time I got to step on stage, the first time I got to invoke a God form uh, was as a, a Nancy in a school play. Um, mm. And my mum made me a, a spider costume out of like a couple of extra like black leotards that uh, she stuffed with socks and then put on elastic on my wrists. So I had like more limbs and things. Uh, so yeah, I got to play a, 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 a West African spider tricks to deity. Um, and I guess the other stuff is doing Aikido from a very young age as well, um, doing a, a post-war, very flowery uh, uh, Japanese martial art that is itself meant to be a kind of conglomeration of bits of judo and, and jujitsu and, uh, and other open hand forms, as well as like yaido and kendo and a bunch of sword things. And Ueshiba, um, or sensei, the guy that kind of founded Aikido, is a, is a fascinating character in of his own right. He's, he's involved in all sorts of... Um, if you say kami cult, it sounds like derogatory. Kami uh, practices, uh, 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 I think he's uh, where he's buried is now a, a tree and is, is a shrine and things. But he's he's post-war, so there are like vid- there's like early video of him like fighting off 12 dudes uh, and just not being where anyone tried to punch him. Like some 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 crazy Yoda stuff. Uh, and I went and did Aikido from again with my dad from about five or six to 16, 17, when I you know discovered punk music and hanging out and smoking and trying to pretend to be cool um for a little bit right as, as as you do as a teenager and i did it with like a bunch of very burly 
mostly working class auto workers, Birmingham is, you know, uh, is, is like that, uh, who were all very adamant that this was the closest thing to real life Jedi training that they could get. They were like, like the stuff on like key and the manipulation of like, or the breathing with spirits um, was absolutely framed as like, you can, you can do stuff like with the force. Uh, and that made sense to them. And they were like adamant that was what they were gonna, gonna try and do. And so having a very early exposure not just to bits and pieces of how mysticism filtered it down to, to Birmingham, but, uh, but also uh, a sense of breath being connected to body, being connected to feeling spirits and being able to make the difference between being able to throw a guy four times your size and not, you know? Um, so I guess that's like a brief, brief boil down of like the, 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 the early stuff. And then I went to university like a good anarcho Marxist uh, to study history, to try and, you know, look at the English revolution to try and like secure revolutions around the world. Uh, we killed a king, you know, um, it, it can be done. Uh, um, and as I got more into looking at the, the history of, of, of revolution and things that didn't just put something in place that then oppressed as it was oppressed and ended up recapitulating, you know, through counter-revolutionary blah, blah, blah. Uh, I ended up getting more and more interested in how magic played a role in helping people uh, interpersonally as well as like personally and how, the, how it related people to their environment, how it seems to and, and seems to keep articulating as many solutions as it does issues for us. Um, and, and, and overall trying to look at which babies um, were thrown out by the enlightenment with the bathwater of a bunch of like admittedly very bad medicine and like, you know, particularly patriarchal standards. So we replaced them with some other patriarchal standards, don't worry. Uh, but I'm very interested in what parts of that magic are now still helpful and useful. It's why I'll bang on about humoral theory a bunch. It's why I'm interested in the divination systems that help us map, manage, and, and potentially manipulate our own situations in the world. Um, so that's the longer form uh, verbally version. Uh, history, Aikido, Dungeons and Dragons, a bunch of, I mean, obviously a bunch of like spirit encounters when you're a kid and you, but less like gray ladies in a room and more like why, why does, why do, why do the airs of this room feel different? What's been programmed here? What's been left behind? You know, every every porous contact leaving a trace, that kind of stuff. Um, so that was a very long-winded answer. Uh, I hope some of that approached a, a superhero origin. No, that uh, was wonderful. Yeah, I, I, I imagine the Aikido training really, really helps uh, uh, just in general focus the mind, clear the mind, work with work with that trans state. I mean, I know a lot of people have a really, really, really hard time with meditation, have a really hard time with staying focused or not understanding what constitutes uh, uh, changing a brainwave or, or going from normal day-to-day -day life to a type of trans state. And there are so many different practices completely devoid of witchcraft. In fact, to be honest, historical witchcraft never really mentions a whole lot of meditation as a, as a, as a major source point from this in the first place. So that must have been majorly helpful in, in, in training your brain to prepare you for this type of work. I think so. I think when you're a kid and you're just doing it every, every week or a couple of times a week anyway, it's just something you do. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I'm definitely, definitely incredibly grateful for that, especially because, you know, um, as I said, it's, you know, it's regarded as, as, as a very flowery kind of style. And so if you, if you like the idea of, okay, this can be useful for some kind of, um, real life combat situations, if only, you know, not freezing up, uh, that's, that's the, the biggest reason, like many of, like my, my, you know, uh, many of my teachers were like, you should do this, uh, mostly to learn how to fall over properly. Uh, yeah. learning to break fall because the chances you're in a fight are hopefully very low. Uh, you already see it coming and you're like, I just don't want to be here. Um, that, you know, there's, there's, there's art of war stuff. Uh, but like, you are very likely to fall over at some point. So you should probably know how to do that uh, without hurting yourself. <laughs> in fact, the only time I've ever broken a major bone was in my wrist was when I uh, fell over. <laughs> oh, oh, exactly. And again, it's the, uh, it's the, it's the freezing up. It's, it's, it's very comparable to a, mm -hmm. a combat or a panic or a flight or flight situation of yeah. learning again, how to remind your body that it's okay to not know what you're doing sometimes or to feel in danger and that this is the time to be more responsive uh, uh, and, and have more faith in the, in the lizard brain that you've been training <laughs> like uh, that sits in the ganglion and can move before you're thinking consciously about needing to move, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I, re I really like that you brought up a, uh, uh... D and D or Dungeons and Dragons as well, and and the understanding or our concept of, of recognizing it as fantasy. Um, 
I don't think that I, I actually think that contributes to a wonderful practice more than than it should be separate from because you know we are so inspired by folklore. I wasn't into into Dungeons and Dragons as a kid, but I was very into fantasy and still am very into fantasy. I love reading fictional fantasy even to this day. Movies, TV shows, horrors, books, podcasts. I love it all, and it, it inspires me. Um, I like to write fantasy because. It's not that I got into witchcraft for the fantasy, but it did inspire my craft. And I think that's something that doesn't really get talked about in a lot of modern books, because many of them are, are, are focused on a very different style of craft, if you will, especially, you know, um, post solitary Wicca, post 90s Wicca boom. There is an idea that I cultivated when I was young that is very different from how I see my craft now. And it's because I, since I grew up in that boom in the 90s, I missed a huge portion of what may have been on the other side of that. And I, I've been really excited to get back into that over the past you know, few years and it's really inspired my practice. Uh, so I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of people need to hear that it's okay to be inspired by the fantasy. Oh yeah, yeah. If you want to be a good writer, write, and also be, you know, uh, have the have the deep and, and, and like abiding courage to be bad at it, or, or and not just like at the at the start, but like to occasionally regularly pull out bad writing. I sometimes think it's like uh, just kind of having to having to like skim off the scum on the top of something inside me that I'm trying to get out of like, it's going to be bad for a while. That's just the well, you got to prime the pump again. And then like, we'll get some good stuff. And again, I can go back and edit and no one needs to know how long it took me to get to that great sentence. So yeah, absolutely. Writing practice is great, especially a writing practice that lets you do literally anything like, like with quote genre fiction. Mm -hmm. I think there's an important point about fantasy. And I think escapism is the term. I think especially with oh, things that get called sorcery or, or, or spellcraft or things like that. One of the things that I, I, I often find myself coming back to, hopefully as a reminder in my own practice and certainly when I'm um, teaching or mentoring or, 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 or trying to pass things on to, to students and clients and things, uh, is that hopefully this, this, whatever your magical practice is, whatever your craft is, uh, is about engaging with the world on a, I don't want to say a deeper level, deeper than the muggles, but like it's about engaging more deeply for yourself, right? About like stepping more into your responsibility, more into the the grand imbrication of all these, you know, uh, 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 weaving and cohering threads of of everyone else's deal as well as yours. Um, it shouldn't be about abnegating responsibility or about like burying your head in the sand. And I think sometimes uh, fantasy can 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 provide that in the same way that magic can provide people desperately looking to throw their egos around and, and beat other people over the head with them, with those means as well. That's not magic's fault, right? That's not fantasy's fault. I, I think that the quote from uh, Tolkien, where it's just like, oh, is this, so he was asked, is this just escapism? And he's like, yeah, like if you're caught behind enemy, if you're a prisoner of war, it's your duty to try and escape. And so I think about this in terms of like Ursula Le Guin talking about like the power of kings was just as capitalism was regarded as like uh, inviolable and like just how everything had to be until it wasn't. And so I think if fantasy can provide us, not just like write your utopian communisms for me and, uh, and we'll, we'll live that out and it'll be great. Uh, but I think if it can provide doorways to, doorways that we open in the possible to, to step forward into the, into the, 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 the actual, uh, I think that's incredibly useful. I think when we bury our heads, not so much. Um, mm -hmm. but it allows us to to more engage with the world and to understand that things don't have to be this way, and can be can articulate a bunch of ideas about why we should do that. Then it can. Um, there's a a way of re, uh, writing the Japanese kanji for sensei for teacher, which is uh, sometimes translated, at least by fanciful Westerners, as um, the the characters for cutting steps in a mountain. It's the idea of like cutting steps up the mountain that you are like making a way for other people. Uh, and I think fantasy can do that and hack into, uh, if any, if something like reclaim the, the merely imaginal and, and, and find more of the points of transmutability to use that, that chumbly term for like making things happen and, and making the world stranger and queerer and, and more beautiful hopefully than, than, than we found it. And, you know, I feel like the more I've studied, you know, plants, botany, the natural world, the science of the natural world, and I'm not sitting here saying that magic is science, I'm not making that equation, but I will say that the more I have learned about it, the more I have realized that the natural world is not as far away from fantasy as I once believed. When you start learning about like the mycelia that is beneath our earth that connects all of the plants and trees and, yeah, and yeah. flora that exists in your landscape, when you understand that 
the tree has a connection to the mycelia in my backyard that connects to miles and miles and miles and miles away. And there are, they have the ability for our landscape to talk to each other, to rearrange so more nutrients go to a place that is getting not enough by the natural selection on their own. When you understand how our nature is able to communicate, it's almost more difficult, I think, for people. It's almost impossible, I think, for some people to really wrap their brains around that and not go, is that magic? Like, yeah. like, is that, ma if I go outside and talk to my tree, that seems stupid, but you know what? That tree is already talking to all the plants around it and the ones even miles and miles away. So me talking to it is not that much different. So, I mean, call me a tree hugger if you want, but I think uh, there is so much magic within literally stepping out of your backyard and asking the tree for help, taking a leaf and say, can I take this here? Let me tell you a secret. I mean, these are small little things, but they're interactions that, that take us not into a fantastical world, but one that seems adjacent to fantasy. Yeah, and it's the little things. It's the littlest things that do it, you know, uh, mm -hmm. I think. I mean, the big things are great too, and the huge climactic rights that you've been building up to sure. for months, but the, the checking in every day, the, the nodding at that statue as you pass and make your tea or, or, or what have you, the, um, what you, you know, how, how, you, how you process a sunset, you know, and what you do at that when, when nature does a variety of like little alarm calls of like, it's a particular time now. Like here is a, a thing you could be more engaged with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the 1980s had a wonderful bit of um, really weird horror uh, fantasy like media coming out of it. I'm thinking of like Dark Duck, uh, gargoyles, um, and chaos magic flourished during that time period. Absolutely, and and there was this idea of like uh, uh, belief and fantasy merging together. We have things like the Black Cauldron, which is a favorite of mine as a child. Disney's um, heretical little brother, uh, bastardized child. But yeah, good good stuff to come out of out of nineteen uh, eighties media. I think. Yeah. Um, well, some of it. <laughs> um, me not having my questions pulled up. Um, Dr. Al, so you are also a, a cunning man, a cunning magician. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what cunning craft is and who the cunning crafts, or I'm sorry, who the cunning folk are? Sure, yeah. I mean, you, you, you kind of nailed two of the, the ways we can approach this and also the things we need to, to bear in mind. Um, cunning folk are those that do cunning craft. Cunning craft is what's done by cunning folk. I don't mean that to sound like a, like a tautology or like, I'm, it's very simple, really. Uh, this, is, this gets a little complicated. There are comparatives with when is the practitioner named after their practice? Uh, here is the practice and here is the person that does that thing. Um, and when is the practice considered secondarily to the practitioner. Um, there are a couple like uh, scholar practitioners, I'm thinking particularly of like Jake and a couple others who pointed out that like archaic Hellenistic Greek uh, uh, Goetia is itself like what, what the Goes does, uh, what the one who wails or laments does. Uh, and so there's this, it was very relevant to witchcraft as well, I feel like, what is witchcraft? Witchcraft is what witches do. Uh, primarily oh, when I, you when I was a kid I I specifically remember I used to read the dictionary yes um because the I, what the dictionary the what we had those <laughs> um but we also it was in the time uh when we started to get them on like um they would have dictionaries built into like palm pilots and um if you remember those and um god what else we we had like all these um dictionary built-in systems for like helping like people with school and I remember I would always look up words that would like interest me obviously which and witchcraft were one of them but the frustrating answer that you would always come back to anytime that you looked up which and almost this it's gotten a little better now but almost every time you would look up the definition of witchcraft it is a, a witch is somebody who practices witchcraft well what is witchcraft it's typically just it, it's uh uh, you know, quote unquote, black magic or, or, you know, but there was never really a good, like, 
how did we get to that? Mm -hmm. um, so like a sentence. Two explanations about like practice and practitioner are e e individually great. When you start combining the two, that's when you get completely circular logic, right? So if you have an understanding of what a witch is, you can you can work out the witchcraft. If you have an understanding of what a cunning person is, you can you can get at their craft. Um, to, 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 to return to actually answering a question rather than just like diverting it into a whole other thing. Cunning folk are, is, is the umbrella term for a variety of local wizards, village spirit workers, wise women, uh, and so on, who are collectively referred to these, these folk magicians, usually service magicians of some kind, um, although many aren't charging money, but are charging like barter and things like that. Um, but some, there's, there's an economics going on, there's, a, there's an exchange going on of some kind, uh, they're being sought out for particular things. Um, and it's a tricky one because it's both a set of folk magics and therefore it's tempting to say like, oh, it's, it's the, it, it, these are the practitioners and this is the practice that occurred between these times historically, and we've frozen it in amber and isn't that wonderful and don't touch it. Um, and the question of like when people stop being Cunning folk is, is a weird one. I, I, I've been called in, in, in a bio uh, a contemporary cunning man, which I'm, I'm delighted with as, a, 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 as, a, as a, an appellation. But I feel that's something that you need to be called by someone else. Like it doesn't necessarily mean an awful lot. Many of these practitioners didn't refer to themselves as, as, as anything other than like a person who knows a thing or two and does a thing or two. The, 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 the cunning part of it is from the Anglo-Saxon for to know, do you can, right? Can, canning. Uh, so it's related to words as well, uh, like kennings, um, but primarily it's a mixture of, again, a very practical thing of like, oh, it's just someone that knows some stuff, like a, a smart dude that, or a smart gal that knows how to, how to do some things, specifically knows how to wrangle spirits. Uh, that's that's what I would argue is the, the, the main thing here. Um, but it can also mean specifically, because cunning is also the term for being like for having again having the aptitude and having the power uh, and the skill at magic so it's both a talent thing and also a an execution and and craft thing um and so you see people being referred to again because because they keep healing people and so they build a reputation of doing it uh or uh, the other the other point is that they <laughs> is that they haven't blown themselves up yet there's this strange crossover with like the gray magic of it where on the one hand, cunning folk are their bread, bread and butter is uh, is unbewitching uh, very often. Uh, and again, we need to understand in this context, at least, witchcraft, if we're talking about definitions, and there are many, uh, would be, you know, maleficia would be specifically the magic used to harm um, and is done kind of by its ends rather than its means. You can you can take a, a very pious ceremony and use it for, you know, devilish ends. And for, for and so this idea of uh, of, of stopping Maleficia, stopping the magic that hurts people um, is, a, is an incredibly popular one. And so they're doing a bunch of their, their magic about that. So on the one hand, they're often compared to the Benedicaria in, in Italy and those kinds of contexts, like the, the night battles stuff. Um, they are sometimes called white witches. That's, that's, that's a complicated issue um, because they're often called that by people who are still like, but ultimately they're still witches and dupes of the devil. And even though they think you think they're doing nice things, this is a front, uh, and they're either idiots that don't understand that they've signed up for for the devil's battalion, or they do, and they're liars as well. Uh, this is this is disingenuous. This is like George Gifford's position in the, the the dialogue concerning witches and witchcraft. He's mostly after cunning folk for saying these are little witches that don't understand how how bad they are. The corollary to that kind of like right wing pointing a finger at anything I don't like and saying it's witchcraft uh, is uh, is the fact that many of these <laughs> cunning folk also did wrestle with unclean spirits and the two ways of like so Agrippa nails these two means of like it's it's commonly regarded that either you worship devils to get them to do what to, to, to work with them this is witches this is um this is bad people uh or you uh command them with the 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 holy names of god this is potentially some negromancers but it's it's ceremonial magicians uh, uh and it's bad but it's not as bad as worshiping them but the 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 other powerful option available it seems to, to to cunning folk was was doing neither and working at how you could maintain 
um, a spirit that was familiar to you, and, and they, they talk about familiar spirits, and it has a slightly different context from the imps, even of like the British Isles, which itself has a totally different familiar law to the rest of, again, I'm not trying to teach anyone's which grandmaster suck which eggs here, uh, uh, suck uh, cockatrice eggs, I guess. Uh, but there's an important distinction that like these cunning folk are not just, um, oh, we're the goodies against the witch baddies. Sometimes they are the dodgy kind of baddies that haven't done anything too bad yet that we will go to. Um, it, it's regarded that like, there's, there's very much a sense when you read these, these, these reports of like, you know, Tom Waits, what's he building in there? Like the, the, the thing about like, the gets a lot of packages, but he doesn't have a lot of friends. Like this uh -huh. kind of like, he hasn't done anything yet, but we are suspicious of him, but he's, but he's, he's powerful. There's lights going on underneath the thing. And so there's this, if we look at say, William Lilly's history of, of, uh, of his life and times as a very famous 17th century astrologer, writes like Christian astrology, continuing a proud English tradition of ripping off Arabic astrologers. Uh, so he's writing this book about his life and times at the behest of his uh, patron, Elias Ashmole, who wants to kind of do a Jonathan Strange, Mr. Norrell, like lineage of English magic. And uh, and so he's like, tell me about all the magicians you've met. Tell me about all the cunning folk you've met. And so Lily is just perpetually like, oh, he he, he, he tried to talk to angels, but his life did not answer in holiness to those to that sacred work. And the ones that are able to work angels, but are still in the pub, that's where people start being confused. Like, oh, he's cunning. She's cunning because she doesn't have to do these normal taboos of like what we consider pious magic, but she also doesn't seem to be out there like, you know, sacrificing goats on the moor. She's doing something, she has the cunning to work with these, these, these devilish spirits potentially, or these powerful spirits and not get blown up or die and is still getting results, like not, so cunning folk are also those who don't rely on the church, don't rely necessarily on the devil, but have found a way, some other how to navigate those kinds of spaces. And that's what's fascinating to me. Um, that and the fact that, that many of them seem to be not just learning their cunning to deal with spirits, but also learning their cunning from spirits. Uh, and, and so again, with any folk tradition, like how, how do we talk, you know, there aren't card carrying memberships, there aren't dogmas of what is it isn't cunning. You, you, you know, there's a pornography argument that you, you know it when you see it kind of thing, which is, you know, very lame. But you can look through these working books and, and, and start to gather the kinds of work that was being done, the kinds of uh, things they were being asked to do, the kind of way they navigated that. A lot of use of like household implements. Um, I'd say that the main things are divining, charming and conjuring and those kind of interrelate with each other in various ways. But the use of horseshoes, nails, uh, cooking pots, um, you know, again, uh, the in the, the the if we move away from that notion of like witchcraft is just that which harms, um, then many of the descriptions, definitions, self-identifications of witches over the last like hundred years, I would argue, have a lot more in common historically with cunning folk than they do with um, certainly those poor people called witches, and then uh, you know uh, 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 receiving a very bad time from various authorities as a result of that label, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm fascinated in this intersection of where wise women are called witches and where witches um, are probably doing cunning as much as their, you know, uh, their crafts, right? right I mean, our, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just going to say our craftiness. But. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I obviously I call myself a witch. I identify as a witch. I like the title witch. I own the title witch, but I definitely use cunning craft because I know when we were having our big freeze this past February, um, we were all afraid again that we were going to lose power for days at a time. And there were multiple areas of my city that did lose power. And uh, I decided, what am I going to do to make sure that doesn't happen? And I took a pair of scissors and I wrapped the blade with a ton of red thread and I put it and I literally hung it in my um, uh, breaker box. And I was like, there, now I can't cut the power. If you can't cut the power, if the, scissors are, <laughs> if the scissors are bound, it was really that simple. And I think so many people are used to witchcraft or 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 craft the craft in general being presented. And you have to have a candle. You have to dress it in this type of oil. It must be covered in all of these herbs. And in fact, it needs to be a fire hazard. Like I, you see these beautiful aesthetics, but it really can be as simple as wrapping some red thread or embroidery thread around some scissors and 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 putting it by your breaker box. Um, Candles is a great example, actually, like uh, now wrong with putting a spell in a candle and being like when the candle's yeah. done, the spell is off, like fantastic work, great opportunities. If you look at pre-modern candle work, a lot of it is, oh, you bless your candles at like Candlemas or a suitable Saint Feast if you're getting into your, your folk Catholicism or, or whenever is or when the moon is doing a particular thing. That's also, you know, just 
basic moon law stuff, like fundamental, not basic, fundamental moon law stuff. Uh, but it, then it's it's not. I burn this candle and and the, and the spell is done, or the, or the or the protection is 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 laid, or whatever. It's it's bitting off bits of the wax of this sacred object and putting those in in in, in charms uh, uh, into poultices. Uh, uh, maybe you burn it for a couple drops around the fields or between the horns on your animals and things like that. But it's a very different approach to to a very common thing that, that that's understood by its context. Very common now, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, understood by its context of like not necessarily scarcity but like a sense of not everything is available all the time uh and so yeah working with these things in 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 ways that are also small t traditional i think is 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 very important there are more ways of engaging with this and when we do i don't think it's just about oh it's older so it's better it's not it's not an authenticity flex for me it's about I learned a lot of my stuff from trying to talk to dead cunning folk from 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 where the where the nigromancy meets the cunning, right? Uh, who better to learn from than the horse, you know, than the horse's mouth? Uh, and so, for me, if I'm doing something closer to what they're aware of, they're or that they're familiar with, they're able to to give me more tips and tricks about like, oh, when I'm doing when I'm working candles like that, it looks like that. It's very often more like, oh, you're doing that. It's very often a disapproval. Uh, magicians are not shy about uh, uh, expressing opinions about magic, especially about other people's magic, especially when they don't approve of it. And that doesn't seem to change after death, uh, as far as I'm aware. Uh, <laughs> so having having like critical voices being like, well, I would never do that. Like I'm trying to work out, well, what would, would you do then? Uh, is, is a big part for me of trying to work in traditional manners. And again, understanding that most of these traditions have an aspect of a tradition of innovation as well, of like, you know, you turn up at the crossroads, you do the things, and then what what happens as a result of that is what happens, you know, and you work that out. Same as like most of these grimoires, however formal or official looking, are about setting up the first date. What you do after that and where you decide to go after that and how that that relationship looks is, is up to you. They're all the the setup. And then whatever, you know, uh, goes on is 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 how you navigate that thing. Um, and so it's it, it very quickly gets completely bespoke, right? I like that you mentioned it's nothing wrong with necessarily old versus new. That's not what this is about. I love new stuff. I create new stuff inspired by old stuff. I like, like right over the past couple of years, I've noticed a major increase in the popularity of the concept of spell jars, but Mm. most modern, modern uh, practitioners uh, aren't aware that, that the spell jars we now see all over social media and books and whatnot are inspired by the original witch's bottle. Mm. Um, and most people aren't aware that the witch's bottle has nothing to do with majority of like prosperity spell jar, um, a, a self-love spell jar. I even, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be untoward or, or rude towards the person that did it, but I saw, I saw a cord cutting spell jar and I was like, I think we're getting away of the point of what a spell jar is here. Um, I appreciate what you thought, what, you, what you're trying to do here, but I feel like we're getting away from the sympathy of the sympathetic magic. Um, a container <laughs> for something that you are trying to get rid of or like mm-hmm. disperse is interesting. Yeah, that doesn't, interesting. That doesn't make a great deal of sense to me mm-hmm. necessarily, but I don't know, a container for the space to be able to do that thing or something, or a container for the spirit that can help you do that thing, maybe. But like you say, it it it's not that you couldn't make that work, especially mm-hmm. if like literally all you had to do like an, uh, an emergency crisis spell is, is is a bottle and those kinds of things. I can see, you know, uh, that being its own kind of, what's the what's the cooking show? Chopped. It's own like chopped challenge, right? <laughs> um, Chop but, and make it witchcraft. Right. Yes, right, chopped, I'd watch that. And fashion. Uh, why not? Um, that's yeah. I, I would. I would definitely watch it. That would, that would be really fun. Again, show not just tell. Like what? To, what? Again, what? What's the vital wit of learning how to work out what to do when you don't know what to do? And that's mm-hmm. for me the importance of like divination and and the charms that help me like uh, uh, with my clarity and with like, as well as with like empowerment for things and then the conjuration of spirits that I can build relationships around those things with. You know, um, yeah. So, but like you say, it doesn't have the. It doesn't feel like there's a sympathetic logic to it. it doesn't feel like there's a good craft logic to a container for something that we're fundamentally trying to disperse or or or, or, or bisect as we took a little detour as we absolutely love to do and we always um should um getting back to cunning folk um we did you also brought up that like this is this is kind of like a thing of idiosyncrasy like it doesn't 
there's lots of different ways to do something. Obviously, we did kind of um, get into that. There's also like different names, titles, um, especially things like, uh, you know, like wh where, when does the, the cunning person become also kind of the physician or maybe they're a little bit more of a physician than a cunning folk, but those things also overlap. I mean, we also have term, terms like charmer. Um, I think it's Owen Davies who makes these like very clear distinctions. Um, that's like, no, no, this is a charmer and this is a, a cunning person. Um, can we can we talk a little bit about some of these names, service magicians? Um, I like that you brought up white witches, like as the deceived deceivers. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the blind leading the blind, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, what are some of their their conf, uh, conflations and delineations, in right. your opinion, at least? Right, and their contemporaries and stuff. No, I think that's a super helpful way, not just in terms of a post-structuralist, like what aren't they? That's that's really helpful. So I think one of the big ones uh, to think about in, in, in contrast to cunning folk, despite how similarly their kind of services ended up breaking down is, is what get called the astrologer physicians. These are people like, uh, gosh, uh, Dr. Simon Foreman, uh, Dr. Richard Napier, um, uh, an awful lot of folks whose main reliance is on an expertise in astrology and in the the actions of the body you know the microcosm and the macrocosm right why are physicists and physicians both doctors uh is is, is because as you know if you know something about how the body works you must know something about how the universe works and vice versa um those are the most different because they're very much like no 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 we you know we're astro we're astrologer physicians they may be licensed by the royal college of physicians for instance um which means they've passed exams uh, and have access to money um and they are mostly building their practices off like this is this is good occult science right uh this is just how the universe works this is good natural magic this isn't your weird you know dicking about with spirits uh, and dirts and things like that um so those are perhaps the chief like kind of rival for want of a better term but they're also providing health stuff they're physicians they're also providing standard astrologer services that you'd be familiar with now you know helping people navigate their birth charts their relationships their um their stupid bosses that won't see how brilliant they are you know all that kind of good stuff um then you get yeah uh, depending on where you are in in the british isles uh charmers are generally yeah owen davies certainly distinguishes what he calls cunning folk from what he calls charmers as usually um, magical specialists, a charm or it might be itinerant as well. So the traveling person that like cures your warts um, or helps you um, dye your linens back to a fabulous white in some way, or um, helps uh, find lost sheep or, you know, some one-off thing um, might well be regarded more as a charmer. The depends because the regional terms for cunning folk um, really range and sometimes uh they're also called charmers so it's 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 uh an added layer of confusion which is how you know it's historically real uh because it's confusing uh and and it's diverse right there's a plurality of practice uh, and engagements and, and and polyvalencies then you get yeah you get courtly service magicians um who are kind of distinguished more by like their clientele basically they're they're people doing stuff for aristocrats who mostly want the same kinds of things as um you know ordinary folk who are going to to cunning folk and other service magicians uh with the exception that there's a lot more gambling magic at various points it's illegal to gamble if you aren't gentry uh along with the fact that like you just don't, don't have anything to gamble with um the other one that you get with uh courtly service magicians is a lot more magical assassination uh you don't really see people paying significant money or swapping a goat to have someone killed in the village, uh, whereas that's absolutely something you see um, with, uh, yeah, with courtly service magic, as well as the accusation that your enemies are plotting to kill the king by magic, right? That's the other classic, right? So a lot of propaganda, a lot of he said, she said counterclaims. Um, love magic also takes on a particular characteristic in that it's the uh, in the, in an age of of, of primogeniture and of you know um, uh, aristocratic autocracy. It does matter. Who your baby daddy is and so uh playing some like Bene Gesserit games about getting you know so and so to fall in love with such and such to produce to to you know to to produce the air that will do such and such is kind of done as well um and so love magic takes on less of quality of um 
does he love me or you know how long will this relationship last or uh what do i do about his you know awful mother or, or, or those kinds of things and becomes a lot more how do i get child and more to the point inherit lands uh, and things like that so those are those are a little different again mostly a class divide and then there's like prophets like full-on visionaries who are like i don't just talk to spirits like they want me to say and do these things there are things like faith healing that are happening as well but it's all by the power of god most of these cunning folk are also not just pretending to be christian seem to be very sincere devout christians uh, of various sorts uh and then we get the crossover with oh things that get called nigromancers as well so people doing other kinds of dodgy magic with a a, a variety of literary tools and resources and and, and skills um that's a, another interesting crossover um then you get like the royal magi like john d who are also doing you know their angelical experiments and things like that uh and then you know people that are called witches uh who might consider themselves cunning folk uh, Anne bodenham the wise woman of wiltshire a really famous example um she's taught by dr lamb who so here's some fascinating bits of like uh, <laughs> um, Goetia is witchcraft when it's done by women. She's taught by Dr. Lamb, who's regarded as an infamous necromancer in London. When he's regarded as doing bad necromancy, he's like tarred and feathered and stoned in the street, the bad kind of stoned uh, in the street uh, and and regarded as a, as a necromancer. But when she falls afoul of someone not liking her work, Bodenham taught by him, she's instantly a witch. He's not a witch. He's 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 just a he's just a bad sorcerer. She's she's in league with the dead. His books are just bad books. Her book is the book of the beast. Um, and so this fascinating gendering of like when cunning folk are with are, are called witches and aren't is also fascinating because she's doing stuff with like circles and Latin and a scrying stone and calling spirits that are partly like ragged boys and partly animals. Um, she's got some fascinating practices to her. She's she's um, she's doing law keep away work to keep sheriffs off her, uh, her clients who are in debt. Um, uh, she's uh, regularly prescribing Jupiter workings and like prayers to Jupiter for unbewitching. She's, um, uh, oh, she's, oh yeah. When, she, when, when, when clients turn up, one of her working practices is she summons her spirits to visible appearance by the client and then sends them out into the meadow. So the spirits, her spirits will tell her clients what herbs they need for their bath that they then go and pick like she said, in some cases, like brushing the snow off them and being like, hey, grab this plant. And then the client comes back with these plants that they've gathered, literally spirit led, and she turns them into powders and things and then hands them back for, for their medicines, which just like as a working practice, like, you know, it's real because you went and got it. Like is, is I, I, I love the, I love the, the workflow of that. I, I incorporating, um more of Anne Bodnum's magic uh, into my, uh, actually Anne Bodnum as, as a spirit teacher in 2023. Um, she is very fascinating also because she also, like you had brought up, does work with some gentry family members, which leads to her demise, right. um, as well as her teacher, uh, Dr. Lamb, who was, um, a service magician and friend to the Duke um, and, and the Duke who is also a very good friend of the King at the time. And that also led to his demise. Um, uh, John D, which I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit um, was a very famous uh, courtly magician, but like his, his weirdness didn't come up until he was already dead. So he was kind of like <laughs> safe you know on the whole um, on the whole yeah it's fascinating to point out as well when we're trying to make these distinctions between who's the cunning man and who's a who's a mate who's a magi or something like that that the <laughs> the flow between quote highbrow and quote lowbrow practices is constant and and as a as a folk magician myself I'm, I'm a lot more of the opinion that many of these practices start grassroots and get complexified by priestly classes and when you have more money and time you make it more complicated and the preserve of a particular thing the the older idea certainly that we inherited from the victorians and like a lot of kind of golden dawn type approaches is like folk magic is what happens when the priestly high erratic arts of like the the true melchizedek egyptians uh filters down to a bunch of ignorant salt of the earth quaint people uh and i, I think more often it, it comes the other way around uh it's culture is, is grassroots up 
um, and doesn't generally tend to trickle down uh, as most things don't. But uh, D is a great example of like, despite having, you know, the largest library, despite kind of having a hand in forming the very concept of a public library, um, despite being regarded as one of the smartest dudes around uh, in his lifetime, is using a showstone, is using a crystal ball, which should have all of those contexts of like, um, sh you know, uh, uh, shonky, like uh, dodgy, uh, uh, neon psychic readings uh, uh, kind of context. 24 hour walk-in, yeah. yeah, no yeah, appointment yeah, yeah. necessary. Crystal <laughs> yeah, crystal ball at the time, like isn't regarded as like a sacred object that can, like it was in the medieval period, but by the 16th century, it's already being regarded as like, this is a thing that like, forgive me, carnies use, you know, like uh, having toured the festival circuit for a while, I, I, I feel uh, 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 a vague sense of, if you've been called a carny, you get to you get to use that term maybe, I don't know. I'm sorry if I've offended any carnies. Um, uh, festival magic is, is, is a fun thing to talk about. Uh, but he's using this 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 showstone. He's using this thing that like lots of people are using. And yes, there's a there's a medieval tradition of like Roger Bacon and other supposedly very learned um, scholarly practitioners also being interested in showstones and optics because it's light, because it's astrology, because it's how everything works. Um, multiplication through the airs is also an understanding of action at a distance and things like that. And so that has a big context of crystal balls. But on the whole, he's he's doing the same things that that that. <laughs> to some degree with like, you know, a, a fancy gold table and with, you know, all these accoutrements, but he's fundamentally what's, what, you know, the, the angelical experiments start with a prayer to Michael, a showstone and a bunch of patients and just praying a bunch, uh, which is very much how cunning operations of scrying and, 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 and evocatory scrying could also start. So again, these techniques cross uh, boundaries of particular practitioners and particular kinds of practices as well in some cases. Um, so it's 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 extra tricky, right? Folk magic is both the thing that other people do, and indeed the thing that everyone has been doing forever, right? See this with carcinomancy as well. Everyone loves to say the seven shears is an ancient practice practiced all over the ancient world, and we just do a version of it now. Uh, but no one can point to the oldest form, or indeed the newest form. It's I'm sure folk do. I'm curious. Um, so we were talking about. Uh, you know differences between charmers and 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 cunning folk and and wise women and and all of these different titles where does poisoner fall mm, in here right. because i feel like that's something that's it's i was just listening to a podcast on i think it was the 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 guiding light with uh Thomas Hatzis who wrote the witch's ointment and talked about the history of a poisoner at one point actually was someone who would dole out poison specifically to people who needed to get rid of a, a <laughs> literally poison to get rid of, you know what, my husband's beating me. I gotta get rid of this guy. I wanna take his, I'm gonna take what he leaves me and and and, and that's it. I don't wanna be married to him anymore. I don't have any rights with this guy. And, and, and they were also the same person that would know how to work that plant to heal you. They were also the same person who might know how to use it in a little bit of cunning art. So where would uh, like a poisoner fall in this in this category, if you will? That's a, a really great question. So on the one hand, yeah, you've absolutely got, you know, knowing how plants work means you know how to make them work to do, you know, uh, the old uh, you can't bless until you know the banes is is also predicated on some, not just a a thing everyone says and therefore has to be true. It's it's mm -hmm. predicated on a bunch of understanding that health is a, is considered a matter of balance. But like humorally speaking, you are attempting to balance people. And so if you know how to, if they're out of whack and you know how to like rebalance them, you also know how to push those scales at that point, because that's what you're doing. Rebalancing mm -hmm. is pushing scales. Regulation is all manipulation of some sort or another um, and is judged more by its by its effects than that. So we do see like uh, uh, the venefici being employed as a term, uh, which is sometimes used as a, um, it's, it's sometimes elided with sorcerer that like a sorcerer is defined as either one who has conference with familiar spirits or one that poisons. Um, and that this starts to come out of like comparisons to uh, Simon Magus and the idea that just as, um, just as a, you know, a toxicology poisoner point like uh, destroys the, 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 the body of the community with bad poisons. So a sorcerer poisons the, 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 the community and God's plan by going against it. So there's this notion of like, what is, what is a spiritual poison, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Who is, 
who is who is turning people against um, uh, God. There's an extra layer here that poison is historically weird as well. Um, it's one of those things that doesn't fit neatly into Aristotelian scholasticism. Okay, so the understanding of how things function is is is, is usually broken down into either Aristotelian or Platonic manifest qualities. Right, these are your um, why fire is hot and dry. Right, um, because it can then it can then um, exchange some of those manifest qualities with other elements. This is your basic like element 101, like we're all, we're all hopefully I, I think pretty familiar with. But those 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 manifest qualities are used to explain everything, right? Oh, it's it's watery because it, you know the clouds are uh, fiery because they're moving so quick, uh, and maybe there's lightning in them. They're they're watery because there's rain comes out of them. It's a qualitative rather than a quantitative understanding. Poison doesn't quite work by manifest qualities. Uh, it's very often said like poisons heat people up, and they're 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 a bad heat, right? That's that's their mechanism of action. But many of them cool people down. And but while also doing things that aren't quite, they can't quite pin it on a particular element or a particular quality of an element. And so poison remains something weird that happens inside that we don't fully understand. So being a being called a poisoner is also about like you do stuff that we don't understand and that we should that no one should understand. There's an extra layer of like denigration of blackening of 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 othering of making strange that like you know. You seem to know how to do things that we don't. Again, there's 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 the unnatural element of that as well, going against God's plan and nature and things like that. How uh, so along with like knowing the the virtues of things in a good humanist Renaissance kind of way, there's also this layer of like, but you can do. He can do things, right? Uh, weird, disturbing things that we don't have a a model for explaining how they work, other than what get called the non-manifest occult virtues. Uh, which are things like, oh, it, it, it uh, how does this, uh, Ben Johnson uh, makes fun of this whole approach where he has, um, uh, 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 in, the, in The Alchemist, in his play about a lot of the, the, the nonsense of this, um, where one of the characters asks, like, why does this plant put you to sleep? And he's like, ah, for it hath a dormitive virtue, right? Which is completely tautological, right? Oh, it's it's got it's got sleepy powers. That's how it puts you to sleep. Like, that doesn't solve anything. Like, that's that's circular thinking. Right. As like, opposed to it's yeah. like, why do you take Tylenol for your headache? Because it's headache medicine. <laughs> right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. It has. Yeah. It had a, it had a, a headachey virtue to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of um, Hildegard von. I almost called her Helena Bonham Carter. Hildegard von uh, von Bingham um, calling uh, Mandrake, you know, and, and she used this plant medicinally. We know that she calling it something like hot and dry um because it, it excites the body it makes you feel very warm if you've ever taken it internally um it it does feel like your blood it sits right underneath your skin and every your you can hear your heartbeat in your head like it's a very um swelling hot feverish kind of of poison but then you know she, in her writings about it she also says like there is a deep coldness in it when she's really also describing it as as like this is an evil plant this is a a very dark evil plant that is deeply rooted in the earth from which it bears all of its evil magics from is because there's like some melancholic uh cold um dry sadness that that is imbued in this root um but also like it does other things to the body as well like you know heats and speeds everything up and mm -hmm, very interesting yeah, I mean, looking at like visionary material, we said like, oh, you know, the the, the citrus and the solar in, in the midwinter and things like that. Many of the, the stuff around sight is about like inspiring a fire inside you that you can, you know, uh, that you can manifest out your eyes to, to see the spirit world and things. But we also see the melancholy of Mandrake in like the, the gravity of the grave of like melancholy has a, has a way of like drawing spirits in that like it's, it's also very visionary. If you are, you're taking something that disorients you that makes you like that, that makes you aware of the the fluxing like you know uh, 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 overwhelming conflagration of things happening around you and also you are kind of like inhibited by it like these are these are very melancholy things it's not just like feeling a bit sad and wearing a frilly shirt and wandering around a field in, in Italy writing poems you know I mean that too obviously. but it is that <laughs> <laughs> and, and and for legal purposes no one on on this podcast is suggesting anyone ingest mandrake we're yeah, just discussing don't, it don't do that don't do that 
Um, yeah, it, it is very interesting. I wanted to get more into what cunning folk do, um, which is also a hard one, right? Like we've already kind of explained, like it is, it's, it's kind of the practice, but it's also the people. And I guess it's kind of some things that they do, but not 100% quite really. But services is a great way of taking it, I think, because that's really where we, we stop talking about like, how do we assess methodology, which is a super important question for getting at that, that, that truth. But I don't want to come across uh, or I don't want people to think that this is just a matter of like ooh, historical interest or like abstract academic interest. No, no, no. We, we, in talking about what they do, like that's 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 arguably the best way we can get at what their cunning is, like what people were, why they were calling them cunning and going to them asking for stuff, which boils down to divination, which is about the classics of like life, death, illness, love, career, local politics, as well as like magic itself, uh, especially also detection as a, as a, a subcategory of divination, finding lost property, uh, missing people, which also means if you can find lost property and missing people, you can also find fugitives. Uh, and also treasure hunting, which is a whole thing of itself that requires an awful lot of talking about uh, conjuration and things like that. Then they're also doing unbewitching, um, diagnosing and dealing with uh, maleficia, as well as restless malevolent spirits uh, and hauntings uh, also kind of cover this kind of category. They're also making charms, talismans, sigils, pentacles, etc. Uh, for a mixture of things for against some things you have an illness you need this talisman and also oh you are trying to achieve such and such here's this sigil uh, for protection and success and so on and there's the conjuration they're doing calling spirits uh, a to assist in the divination and the witching and the talisman craft right get get you a, a spirit that can help you do that the magic circle is positive feedback loop right um but also any number of other works, uh, compelling thieves, um, particular spellcraft and things like that. Uh, and then they're also, some of them at least, are also pretty engaged with a bunch of fairly nigromantic practices of working with the dead, with graveyards, with the unclean spirits found in graveyards, with black books, and with a variety of the kind of folk demonologies um, that are kind of taking place. And those are less of the, those are again like how the services are uh, uh, are offered rather than like the service itself is less like I need you to summon me a ghost just just because you do see that occasionally you do see like uh, oh I was asked by Lord such and such to to summon a spirit just to see if it was if it was true like kind of thing um, but more often they're, they're being asked to do something specific with these ghosts um, uh, especially ghosts and it's often ghost laying um, uh, which is like a, a it's, it's billed as a less fancy exorcism. Um, it's often, there's less flashy, I would say, more, more sitting and praying and fasting. Um, there are some particular bits of where exorcist as a, as a, a, a lay clerical title kind of overlaps with, with some cunning craft and with some, and with a bunch of nigromancy, obviously, and with some like priestly stuff and with some ceremonial stuff. Um, but there's plenty of traditions of laying ghosts in interesting ways. The, one of the, the, the big English traditions is um, throwing graveyard dirt in the face of a ghost. <laughs> like if they scare you, 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 you're like, it's, it's a mixture of like, get away. And also of like, go to bed. Right. <laughs> like, I'd like to do that to a few people. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> they don't need to be, they don't need to be ghosts yet. I, I just, <laughs> I can literally list a couple of them right now. <laughs> it's, it's giving very much like, um, here is the stuff you're supposed to sleep in like shut up yeah. leave me alone yeah mm -hmm. and then you would like gather that dirt up uh and then go and deposit it at the nearest river very often um and there's a bunch of like they're they're not infinity formulas but they're um there's some infinity formula stuff but there's also a bunch of stuff around some dead can't be can't be fully put to rest they can only be like slowed down and so there's this concept of like uh you can you can put them in a, a river and it means that they can't that they'll spend the rest of their time trying to get back to the the haunting site so you do it from the, the river that's furthest away very often and they're, they're meant to move like one cock stride a year and so you can like things that are meant to be done every year are done to put it back in those places and so these calendrical events also become a way of like ensuring that uh revenants don't come back that is very interesting. I I think too, a lot of the times, I like that you said that it's uh, how less of the service that is 
done, but like a means to get that service done, um, yeah. which I find often a lot of the times is for people who are doing services now, it's a lot of like, especially just from personal experience, if I'm interacting with a client, like I, there are things that I'm not going to do on camera. There are things I can't do um, on camera. There's things that take certain days, hours, preparations, typically fasting that, you know, I might've eaten like 30 minutes before our session. So I can't take, I can't do that. You know, um, yeah. I might have to, to, to schedule you at another time. And that is a little bit also of, of like these, like, what are these people doing um, when nobody else is looking at them? Um, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're a strange bunch. And I think that's why they're so fascinating, especially because maybe this, is a little true. Uh, there's uh, certainly some trueness here, but also I could be missing a little bit of a mark, but it almost seems like the way that we are informed by how we practice witchcraft now comes from the majority of like records on cunning folk because most information on witchcraft is mostly theoretical. Um, like we think this is how witches fly. Um, they can't do that because only God can do that. Um, but no, these power, these people are also against God, so they can fly. You know, there's a lot of computation around that. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. No, it's a fun one. Yeah, I, I think I think the idiosyncrasy of them, not just that they're, they're these super wacky figures. Some of them are very, very plain and, 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 and do little more than like very ardent prayer with a couple plants and things like that. Um, they're not all out there, you know, being wacky. Um, but yeah, many of them are very strange and very particular. And most of our, our records, exactly, of, uh, are of their uh, records in, in when they're when they're hauled up in front of an assizes or a county court or the sheriff's office or something like that over, you know, uh, someone thinking that they'd lamed their cattle or something like classic witchcrafty kind of stuff. As well as like, I'm mad because he didn't. Um, find my cattle soon enough, um, which is an extra odd one when the various witchcraft laws are, uh, are imposed differently across not just time, but but regions as well. But we have these accounts of, of people being very unaware of what the law seems to be, um, that like they'll go to the, the sheriff's office with the equivalent of like, my drug dealer like sold me, you know, uh, two little drugs. I want to take him to trading standards. It's like some of the, the reports are like that, where they're like, consulting a witch is is against the law right now we have to put you in like we have to arrest you about that like and you came in thinking you were like gonna get the police to turn up and get your full weight of of whatever eighth you paid for you know or the equivalent thereof um you see the other example as well of like cunning folk who aren't aware that what they do is don't consider what they do to be be wrong or bad to the extent that like there's a famous missing persons case in the uh, I want to say like 1670s and one of the local cunning folk is like I my bread and butter is finding people I am at your service I'm not going to charge it's a kid uh, let's just find this kid and uh, the sheriffs are like oh the new witchcraft law just came in and our boss is like a stickler for it we have to arrest you now for saying that you would you, you for volunteering to do community magic um, we have to put you away but other times no one's paying attention to those those, those laws and so people are able to practice a wide variety of things yeah we have we have evidence from from some working books from some of these like receipt books of shadows if you like these personal grimoires uh, which are a mixture of notes to self and you know recipes uh, and you know uh, lists of sigils of like who you're going to call for, for for conjuring your spirits uh, but also occasionally like long tracts of occult treatises that look more like they are they're going to pass this book on to someone like I'm very interested in like what the what they're doing with these beyond just like working them themselves like why did you need to write that thing in there I don't know uh, I mean yeah there's, there's some bits and pieces of that but also like you say and like like necromancy and and, and studying necromancers the a lot of what we know of of witchcraft and how we construct it seems to be from if not people uh skeptical of it or or, or trying to tell people how evil it is but as I say theoretical and I find that fascinating that like say the discovery of witchcraft like Scott's discovery is a, it's used by the very people that Scott's attempting to convince not to not to do magic anymore. Far too detailed on the things that you absolutely shouldn't do, um, and 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 no news travels like bad news or like like salacious 
Like, ooh, a naughty book. Yeah. Right, right? <laughs> I, I, I want a naughty book. Um, that, uh, that people are reading about what other witches did 200 years ago and then doing it, right? That, that, that it, is, it is not just found at the end of a pointed finger, but it's constructed from the, the, the fears of our enemies, right? Um, and good, right? This concludes part one of our interview with Dr. Alexander Cummins. Stay tuned for September 13th for part two. Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast. And at this time, I would like to thank our top-tier supporters. Jennifer W. Cindy Wiggins. Giles. Jennifer. Robin. V. Keith. Josie the Mountain Troll. Jens. Adity. Pamela. Nicolette. The Lady Ghost. Seashaw. And Anastasia Beaverhausen. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. We couldn't do this without you.